Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... This episode of the Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Artwalks, kids' shoes based on kids' books. They launched their first line of shoes with six designs by three artists, John Clausen, Scott C., and Joey Chu. Get your own pair along with other great baby shower gifts by supporting them on Kickstarter. To check out their campaign, click on the link in the show notes for this episode at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast, or scroll down to find the link in the show notes displaying on the app you're listening to right now. Support also comes from the Highlights Foundation. The Highlights Foundation is excited to be hosting an important event this June 14 to 16, Building Cultural Competency in Today's Children's Publishing Industry, a working symposium. They've put together a stellar faculty of changemakers to guide you, including Edith Campbell, librarian and social justice advocate, Dr. Debbie Reese, educator and author, Renee Watson, author, educator, and activist, Paula Yu, author and TV writer-producer, Dr. Laura Jimenez, educator and reviewer, and Dr. Marisala Jimenez-Garcia, author and educator. Space is limited, so be sure to register for this exciting workshop symposium today. Visit highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. That's highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. Now? Hey! (laughs) I can totally hear you! (laughs) I'm so sorry. It looks like for some reason, and I don't know how this happened, but that Skype didn't have my max permission to use the mic or something yeah how dare you skype (laughs) how dare you not give permission to mac (laughs) or the other way around or the other way around yeah (laughs) well i'm glad you're here i love attempting to play tech support when we're like blind on the call (laughs) i'm like i don't know if you can hear me or see me or anything but Do you remember a moment, or several, in your life where you considered yourself, your appearance, your personality, your interests, and then began seeing the links between those characteristics and that of your family or relatives? This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 504. I'm your host, Matthew Winner, and today I'm joined by Linda Sue Park, Newbery Medal-winning author of A Single Shard, She's here to talk about her new picture book, Gondra's Treasure. The story centers on a dragon whose mom's family comes from the west, while dad's family comes from the east. Gondra, like many children, is curious and open to her world and everything in it. She finds strength in all facets of her mixed-race family, 
And what I found reading the story was a strength in the definition of family itself, which is to say that this story has everything to do with belonging, ancestry, asking big questions, and discovering how you tell the story of your family. Please welcome my guest, Linda Sue Park, author of Gondra's Treasure. Hello, my name is Linda Sue Park, she, her, hers, and I'm an author of books for young readers, which is why I'm on this program now. (laughs) Oh, Linda Sue, we could argue you are destined to be on this program for a long while. (laughs) As said, because, because as said, I feel like I've had this connection with you ever since reading A Single Shard, and um, I know that this is something you have with many many readers of all ages, that connection. There's an intimacy and a, a beauty about your books that just draws folks in, and here we are. Well, thank you, and keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about my yes. career. <laughs> well, I did, quite frankly, if we say it up front. I, I also loved hearing you on Kid Lit Women, but Grace is no stranger to how much I love the work she's doing over there, both with the blog, but especially with the podcast and having all these voices championed week after week. So thanks for that. I feel like already I've learned a lot from you and I haven't even spoken to you yet. So it's it's sort of a neat experience to come at it this way. Normally, when I interview someone, it's the first time perhaps I'm even hearing their voice. And yet I feel like I've already been learning from you. So thanks for teaching me stuff. Well, that's very kind again. And of course, you know, yourself and Grace and um, people, there's so many people doing such wonderful work. And I'm not, uh, first, I'm not tech brained at all, as evidenced by our difficulty getting together (laughs) on Skype tonight. So I am so grateful to everyone who, who does this kind of work and, you know, all towards the same end of getting books and readers together. Why, what drew you originally into writing? Linda Sue, where, where, I don't think I've ever heard that origin story. Before we get into this new picture book, I'd love to hear where you felt that call to tell stories for children. Well, first of all, I was a reader, you know, and I'm 59 as of yesterday. Happy birthday! (laughs) Well, thank you. And uh, it was actually two days ago. I'm losing track already. Oh, a lot. But um, so I grew up pre digital, I guess you could say. Um, but even so books were, you know, my everything. Um, my parents were immigrants from Korea and like many immigrant families found the library an absolutely incredible treasure. You know, there was no taking of that for granted, let me tell you. So we were regular library patrons and I just, that's what I did. I read, I read all the time. I read so much that during the summer months, my mother would set the kitchen timer for three o'clock in the afternoon where I would have to stop reading and go outside to play. <laughs> you had a timer to stop reading. I love to that. stop reading, yes. <laughs> okay, Linda Sue, it's time. Right. Time to cut it off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do, you, do you do any of those stories that you read? Reading that voraciously, I have to imagine there were there were books that that were taking seed in your brain but not – Maybe not titles that all carried with you, but but surely there were some that that you still uh, think of fondly from that time when you were reading so voraciously at that start. Oh yes, because I was not only a reader, but like many young people, I was a re 
reader. Oh, cool. My favorites over and over and over. So when we get to the end of this podcast and you ask me what I'm working on next, (laughs) I will be able to elucidate more on that question. Ooh, but, um, the, the re-reader and re-re-re-reader perhaps at some point I'm, I'm going to guess turned into writing. Did you write stories from a young age or was that something you found later? No, yes. I, I was writing when I was very young, mostly poetry. So I wrote uh, poems and poems and poems. My mother saved poems from kindergarten you know, um, because I read and write, read and wrote early. Um, and so my main love was poetry all the way through, you know, school, high school, college. And I actually, um, I think I took one fiction writing class in college, but I didn't start writing fiction seriously until I was in my mid thirties. And yeah. And so I was in there. Yeah. Yeah, poetry was my first love, and I still—it's still something I love. And s- many of my picture books are either, you know, in verse or, or you know, written lyrically. Um, and so it's it. And what I got from that is, well, so first of all, as a young person writing, I mean, I often have usually about a 12 or 13 year old boy come up to me and tell me about this fantasy novel they're writing, and I think that's that's <laughs> terrific. I really do. But very few of those wonderful. Um, efforts ever get finished because a novel is really a marathon right it's really a hard thing but a poem a poem is like this little nugget and and the youngest of writers can write a poem so there was something very satisfying about working on something for a while and then actually be able to being able to call it finished so and um it also appealed to I guess what I'll call the fiddly twiddly part of me, you know, you, you mess around with words and lines and, and that's, that's very, that was, I found that very satisfying to, you know, to, to find just the right word, just the exact words. And that is definitely a discipline that has carried over to my fiction. Um, I spend, a, you know, a, like most of us do, but I spend, you know, a lot of times on, on plot and character and things like that. But I just love, um, the, the sort of end stages where I'm fiddling endlessly with the words. Those are my favorite parts. And I'm sure that's left over from my time as a poet. Oh, yes. I think being able to play around with those words is the type of work that must ultimately result in why folks like me, librarians and teachers find certain books so wonderful to read aloud because of that, that thoughtfulness, not just on what is being said, but the way those words are strung together to say them. Right, right. And just the rhythm and the sound and, and um, you know, even white space where I want you to take a breath or, you know, things like that. So there's a lot, there's a lot more limitations in prose in many ways, but you can use tools from poetry on, on your prose. And certainly that's what I try to do with every one of my books. So your new picture book has every bit to do with the things that I was obsessed with growing up. It went, <laughs> I went from like video games to dragons, to dragons, to video games, to dragons in video games <laughs> and to like fan fictioning. I've realized as a child that I was actually like writing fan fiction before we called it that, but writing like fan fiction about dragon video games and things like that. <laughs> so um, can you tell uh, the readers that have not yet met your book about Gondra's treasure? I would love to. So Gondra is a little girl dragon, and she introduces herself at the very beginning, saying that her father is from the east, 
and her mother is from the West, and she was born somewhere in the middle. Um, so I, too, have always loved dragons, and of course, they're very much part of Eastern or Asian tradition, as they are Western. Um, and in about, I think it was 2012, I was fortunate enough to be visiting Australia, and I heard I um, was on a panel with the Australian author Carol Wilkinson, and she writes, uh, and we she writes books about dragons, and we talked about how she was always much more fascinated by Eastern dragons than the better known Western dragons, and something clicked inside my head. It was like I had always known that they were similar but different. And yet it wasn't until hearing Carol speak that I realized, oh, wait, most people know the Western dragon way better. And that's sort of, you know, it's not like a huge revelation, but sometimes these things (laughs) take a while to penetrate the brain, you know. So, you know, the dragon with wings that breathes fire and hoards treasure, that's our, that's most people's vision of a dragon. Um, But of course, the Eastern dragon um, has many similarities, but is also very different. All right. So I thought it would be very fun to explore those differences in a picture book. And of course, it turns out that um, so many of my family, um, I, I, I am married to an Irishman. Okay. So we're we're a mixed race family and on both sides of our families there's all kinds of like we would have been illegal in every state <laughs> everywhere <laughs> you know not so long ago really you know? so oh, uh, yeah this was this was another thing that I was like oh I'm actually writing about my family how about that you know um oh, but no. there's another sorry go no, ahead no, I was just going to say and I love in the way you're writing about the family that each parent sort of takes jabs at each other saying well you know i have this quality which is really a pretty cool thing um i thought that that, not only was that cute but then at the one point you give the you give the dad a line where (laughs) where they're talking about the the color of their scales where's i to find it that line (laughs) where where dad's like you do have pretty you do have pretty scales or whatever he says i'm like that is oh yeah oh yeah um mom says uh my side of the family has bronze scales, Mom said. It's classier, not as garish. What does garish mean, I asked. Gaudy, flashy. Nothing wrong with a little flair, Dad said. I like flashy, I said. I like classy, too. Bronze, eh, Dad said. Well, whatever color they are, they're gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know about other families. You really never know about how, you know, what happens, you know, when inside any other family but your own. But um, my family, like, we tweak at each other. You know, we tease each other. We rib each other. Oh, I'm sorry about this. Um, and uh, I read the manuscript aloud at one stage, and uh, someone said to me, the, the, the parents are kind of mean to each other. I said, oh, no, mean? Really? <laughs> I don't think of it as mean. You know, I think of it as, as sort of a loving kind of teasing. <laughs> I don't think they could so. talk to each other that way if they didn't love each other. It is really just cute. And I think well, as Gondra is wondering how she will, um, how what will happen as she matures? Because a, yeah. a, a lot of the things she says, well, that won't happen, though, until I'm older. I won't know if I'm magical until I'm older. Right. Um, I think it's neat to have 
that feeling of, I can see who my mom is, or as a child, I assume who my mom is. I assume who my dad is, but I, I take sort of guesses at which qualities will come out in me as I grow up. Or maybe rather I, I need as a child for my mom or dad to affirm in me, oh, you're just like me when I was your age. This was something that I was like or struggled with too or whatever. Yeah, and I think a couple a couple of the reviews I was really pleased said what you just said, which is that, you know, there is banter, um, but that throughout there is this unconditional love. And um, I was very pleased that that came across to them because it's certainly what I was thinking that this um, um, this this girl is clearly adored by both of her parents, you know, whatever the little whatever their differences are. So um, and it was just it was very fun to write. And of course, then Jennifer Black Reinhardt drew Gondra as the most hideous and most adorable <laughs> dragon. I mean, isn't she like the ultimate in ugly cute? The ultimate in ugly cute is the greatest phrase I've heard ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's adorable to her yeah. mom and dad, right? Yeah, of course she is. <laughs> of course she is. So, and I'm sure it is the first time. Well, I'm not sure. You know, you might know even better than me, but I believe it to be the first time that a dragon has ever been shown wearing footy pajamas. The footy pajamas, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love the dress up with the with the jewels and treasure. I love they were the 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 carrying around the stuffed cow everywhere was like wonderful. Um there were moments that <laughs> there were moments when I had to remind myself, oh that's not a real animal. That's <laughs> that's her her love love, her baby, her her whatever. <laughs> but um you're right that the to have to have dad and mom be such beautiful and different dragons to to also work so well with your text i feel like uh jennifer did such a great job showing showing where whenever one parent is paired with gondra alone you can see the resemblance and then the other parent pairs with her and you could see the resemblance and that i i never gave thought to what it must be like to create a child character in the likeness of the parents. That's so interesting. I'm sure that Jennifer will be delighted that you picked up on that because I know she she works really hard. And she's also, and, you know, I admire so many illustrators and what they do. Um, but one of the things about Jennifer is she's old school. She paints. She does not do anything digitally. So, you know, those are all actual paintings of Gondra and her family, and which means that, again, old school style, she mail, she FedExes the art to the publisher and then does not sleep until they call to tell her they received it. <laughs> We've received it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Because it's not a file that goes, you know, through through email. So, you know, she sends them the only painting there is. <laughs> well, you know, and, so. and it feels like it feels like she's doing these by hand. They've got they just have a, a lot of that pen and watercolor um, blending together and lines happening over one another and. It just, it, it feels like they feel handmade. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. The restraint of, well, if I don't, if I don't adjust this or learn to live with it on the page, um, I'm going to have to start from scratch again. That, that feeling of like, I'm <laughs> yeah. going to make this work. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I just love it. And, um, uh... 
when I wrote the text, the um, editor asked me, um, this, you know, she really enjoyed it and so forth and so on. She said, but I'd really, really like to have an author's note from you, oh, which are yeah. common. They're common in nonfiction picture books and in historical fiction picture books, you know, to explain the difference between fact and fiction or to add whatever information or perhaps for the adult reader who's, you know, reading to the the child reader. But this was a purely fiction picture book, right? And so I was like, she wants an author's note. I need to tell her that dragons aren't real. <laughs> oh, I oh I hope you thought that in the whisper voice you just used. <laughs> um, just so you know, you can Google it if you want. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. so, but but I did manage to come up with an author's note, and it was fascinating, you know. Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. Support also comes from Bharat Babies. Bharat Babies produces children's books about India with a story for everyone. I've featured their books several times on the podcast and through blog posts, but now I've got a special offer for you, dear podcast listener. Visit baratbabies.com and get $5 off any purchase of $19.95 or more when you use the code READINGISRAD. That's baratbabies.com, B-H-A-R-A-T-B-A-B-I-E-S.com. Offer code READINGISRAD. You gave a note in here that I had never thought about before. I don't know. I, w- I was a kid obsessed with dragons and then a kid obsessed with dinosaurs and a kid obsessed with all of these different things, but I never connected. There were dragon... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Now I'm doing it. There were dinosaur <laughs> bones found on all seven continents. Therefore, why wouldn't... If if uncovering these these bones at whatever part in your civilization's history, why wouldn't you um, create imagine what they what they could be bones of exactly so for the dragon myth to come in two different places and be so similar it finally felt like oh oh well that makes more sense right (laughs) right it's like you know at first i was like really did people's imaginations just come up with this you know scaly snake-like whatever you know oh no they both found dinosaur bones so duh Right. But I mean, I think that's wonderful. It's wonderful that there's such there's such that even finding those bones that that, you know, people's imaginations all over the world, you know, went to that. You know, what was this creature like? Um, And and, you know, imagining and coming up with with dragons. You know, there there is something very, you know, the like the fascination that you had with them when you were young. There is something about them that. you know, and of course, the Disney films have helped, or if they're are they right. Disney films, yeah, yeah. But There's, but still, that there is something, uh, you know, that re- that very much catches people's imaginations about them. There are Disney films, but the movie that I remember obsessing over, my dad must have liked it too, or just must have tolerated me watching it over and over and over, was that there was this movie called Flight of Dragons. Oh wow! And I don't know. I have to look up what it was. I could actually still sing you the song from like the movie, <laughs> and it was illustrated. It must have been in like that same 70s illustration style that they did The Hobbit. 
and oh, yeah. Return of the King. Like I could still picture yeah. that that same kind of uh, style, but I was obsessed with that movie. And in that movie, a uh, a human plays like a board game and turns into a dragon and has to learn sort of how to function as a dragon in this land of dragons that's disappearing. Um, it was cool, and it made me think going back to that in my brain and also these seven continents of dinosaur bones, it made me think when I was a child and hopefully as children today, the world feels so uncharted, so undiscovered that to, to wonder what else could be out there when you get just a taste of what we've already found to wonder what else could be out there is just such an endless fascination and what drove me to draw a lot as a kid. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I think in the case of, of, of Gondra too, going back to, you know, my own family background and, and sort of the things that I do a lot of thinking about these days, um, you know, Gondra's like, this is my mom. This is my dad. Yeah. That's, that's just cool. That's the way things are. And that's, that's how so many kids see them until the outside world very early and quickly, um, you know, begins to impose, you know, layers on, on that, on that acceptance, on that openness. Um, um, and to, to give them stories where, where they, you know, to say, you know, yeah, this is, this is actually what, you know, you're like when you're a child, you are open, you are, you know, curious and interested and, um, not as judgmental as your limited adult caregivers. And, and, um, you know, that, that openness is, is a wonderful thing. And, you know, if, if the stories that we tell can help children keep that or understand at least as they get older, that that is a quality worth cultivating, you know, that's, um, I think children's books do have the power to get kids thinking. Um, I've often said that when we love an adult book, when we love a book as adults, it because it confirms our worldview. You know, even if we learn something new, it's because at at root we agree with whatever this author is writing. When you write for young people, you actually get a chance to introduce them to concepts and ideas. You know, you get a chance to mold their little minds. <laughs> <laughs> Corrupting young minds. Yes, right. <laughs> you know, which is which is not the case so much with adults. Who, all of us are, you know, we're pretty set in our ways. And again, even when we learn something new, it's because, you know, it, it, when we love a book, we, it's because we, we agree with what the, you know, inside we or deep down, we agree with what the author is presenting us. But um, with young people, you get to, you get to, you know, provoke them into thinking about things that they may not have thought of before. Um, and it's a great privilege. It's a great responsibility. I like, too, that in saying that, well, not only that, as we learn about Dad, and I didn't know about, about, I realized how much I didn't know about the um, Eastern Dragon, that um, breathing mist and carrying one pearl and traveling through mm -hmm. magic all of that, but also the relationship to man. I mean, the the dragon that's uh, hunted for the, the treasure and breathing fire and threatened versus um, one that provides rain, that works with the humans or tries to wipe them out. This notion of of also what adults have or what 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 people 
have done to dragons in that in a lot of ways, I think we sort of try to stamp them out literally from our, you know, dragons aren't real. We know the yeah. dragons are real. And like, well, hold on now. That feels nice to think about how dragons are real or not. But you've, you've also built in, Linda Sue, this really neat treat in your book, which is that as Gondra is talking to mom and dad about who they are and how they're different and whatever, this and that, the entire story, I felt like I was getting to experience this for the first time with Gondra right there, that we're experiencing it together. And then you build in this, this note about the treasure that all the treasure that, that mom and her lineage would have laid on in the times of yore. And, um, and, and Gondra says, um, what happened to the magic pearl and all the treasure? And, and we read again, Mom rolled her eyes. You've asked us that a million times. And that line did such a nice job of reminding me, oh, I'm assuming this whole thing is the first time, but it could be as you as as you love hearing yourself, your own story affirmed over and over. Mom, Dad, tell me about the day I was born. Tell me about what I was like as a kid. This is a story that Gondra potentially has heard about herself over and over, which makes, I think, to bring it back to when we were talking about the parent relationship, something even sweeter because they have talked about their similarities and differences to Gondra, to each other, over and over in that (laughs) thinking. And so they're both meeting her in a place of love and you know, hey, you like you like this beautiful hair that I have? You like this beautiful whatever <laughs> I can bring? Whatever I'm thinking for, like, for human parents, there's just these little things that are like, well, you got this from me, though. My kids, I'm, I'm bugging my kids about, like, yeah, you like how, how the room feels when things are really cleaned up? That's because your dad's a librarian. <laughs> you right. like that quality, don't you? <laughs> So I you know, just, and yeah. and actually, that's that's another thing that you've picked up on that um, was very interesting. Um, Jennifer struggled with actually the whole the editorial process was interesting because I first envisioned it as sort of a hybrid picture book. Um, I, I thought it would be panels and speech bubbles, um, mm. and that's how I wrote it. And um, Jennifer was like, "No, no, uh, speech bubbles are if you are not a graphic novel artist or a comic book artist." speech bubbles are really n- not fun to have to incorporate into your work. <laughs> I, I learned, I did not realize yeah. this. Um, so Jennifer's like, no speech bubbles, please. So I, I rewrote it as more of a straight up narrative, but she said, okay, so all this stuff that J- Gondra is talking about, about her family, I need her to be telling that to somebody, you know, mom, mom has this, dad has that. And that's why the cow. Oh, of course, <laughs> that's yes. why the cow. <laughs> yeah, so she's ta- she, she said, I knew that she needed to have a friend who was around all the time that she was telling these things to. So, and, and she's, she, of course, she's talking to her cow about, about her family. <laughs> did you, wait, did no, you no. make the conscious decision of the cow or was that Jennifer? No, no, that was all Jennifer. That was all Jennifer. It is so clever that the thing... That we, at least with the Eastern dragons, the thing we picture like ravaging the crops and eating the livestock has a stuffed right, animal right. that's the livestock. <laughs> exactly. It's like me having a stuffed hamburger squishy or something. <laughs> oh, so clever. Oh, my word. Oh, I love it. 
Well, and well I just, done, both of you. Yeah, I, I do love it as, as as an example. And of course, Jennifer did my previous picture book, Yak's Yak. Yeah. Um, but I do love it as an example of of collaboration. And you know, I often I'm not popular with other picture book writers for saying things like this, but they're called picture books. They're not called word books with pictures. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I I feel strongly about illustrations having primacy, and that the illustrator may be using my words as inspiration. But they really are, um, you know, it's really, truly a, a collaboration. And, you know, what, is it, what does a kid do when they sit down and pull a book off one of your shelves? They don't, they look at the pictures. Yeah. And they look at the pictures. It's a picture book. <laughs> I was saying, we were talking about, before recording about uh, me being up at Highlights this weekend, Highlights yes. Foundation. And when I was sharing with those attendees about, about length of when you're writing a picture book, I said, I said, ideally, at least as a librarian, when I'm reading aloud all the time, ideally, I need your words to run out before the kids want me to turn the page because I need us to sit on that art. If the students have already read the art and I'm still reading the words, then we have a mismatch. Then there's something there that the, the pictures aren't doing enough work or you're not giving the pictures enough real estate. That is such an interesting way to put it. I'm definitely stealing that. Well, so I, I mean, as I, <laughs> as I hold up the books that I love, I'm always feeling like, like you're saying, how much Jennifer put into the art here that as I read it, it's that great thing of I need to hold it and I need to rotate left and rotate right with my readers, um, yep. holding that book facing yep. out because they're not ready for me to turn the page yet because there are those details of the footy dragon pajamas or right. of the right. whatever that they aren't ready for. And that, that I think is, is the work of a great picture book, leaving the, that you left that space for her that she used uh, and was inspired by those words that you had to tell, um, to collaborate, to tell the story. Right. And it's not, I mean, obviously, as picture book writers, we're always told to leave room for the illustrator. But even more than that, I think about the illustrator just creating, creating her own space, creating her own opportunities, you know, beyond, you know, beyond the space I've left her, you know, expanding that space even more. Yeah. I mean, you know, just claiming, claiming it as her own as well. Claiming it. That's right. This is, this is, um, that we are both on we're both our names are both on this cover we share this story it's not the one and without the other yeah oh right. so wait i before we wrap up you had mentioned um that you were going to withhold telling me what you've been working <laughs> on until the end and now i i snap back into remembering that would you mind sharing what what amazing things you've been up to well that, i'm very that are inspired very... by early reading right Right, right. Well, I'm very grateful for uh, the opportunity to talk about this. First of all, uh, very briefly, I have a fall picture book coming up called Mia's Long Walk. It is a picture book companion to A Long Walk to Water. Um, Many schools have, yes, yes. Many schools have used A Long Walk to Water as an all school read or an all community read. Mm -hmm. And so I've been asked for a long time now if there is something for younger readers. And of course, there are picture books um, by other authors, but I just decided that it would be great if there was a picture book that was directly linked to A Long Walk to Water. And so Nia's Long Walk will be published in the fall by Clarion Books, Houghton Mifflin, illustrated by Brian Pinckney. (gasps) Whoa! Oh, whoa, whoa, I just got right. chills. Yes, Holy yes. cow. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, so congratulations that you had the opportunity as well to write a picture book for that, to bring that story to even more readers. That's wonderful. Yes, thank you. So it's it's uh it's extracted from the nya parts of the of the okay. of the novel. Yeah. So um all right, so that's one thing. But next spring, spring <laughs> 2020 is the book that um really is truly well they're all books of my heart, but this one uh springs so directly from my childhood reading. Um as a young girl, I was a huge fan of the Little House books by Laura Ingalls Wilder, and those I reread many, many times. I've uh, spoken to other um, uh, children of immigrants, especially Asian immigrants, um, who also have that had that same reaction to these books. I mean, we loved these books sort of beyond reason. And I've sort of come to the half sort of, you know, this, this conclusion that they must have seemed to us as some kind of roadmap to becoming American. You know, that if we did this, if we had the corncob doll and we made the maple syrup candy and, and we, you know, sewed a quilt, that we, we might one day be as American as Laura seemed to be. Um, so then, of course, fast forward several years, and even before the recent ALA, ALA renaming of the Wilder Award into the Children's Literature Legacy Award, even before that, of course, there had been a lot of discussion about how um, her books really, um, for all their charm, um, present an incomplete history of this country at the time, um, and how that incompleteness ends up, um, you know, actually being very hurtful to some people and maybe even harmful. So this was a, this was really something I was wrestling with these books. I had loved so much as a child and we're really, you know, you know how the books you love, they're part of you, Mm -hmm. right? It's very hard hard to divorce that, that, that feeling of how special they were to you and to your identity as a reader to, to reconcile that with, with, with your view yes. of them as an adult. Yeah. Right, exactly. So I I needed to do that. I felt very strongly about that. And so this um is a middle grade novel and the main character is a half Chinese girl who um moves with her father uh to a town in South Dakota that is modeled quite closely on Desmet, where the Laura Ingalls Wilder books take place, the last of them. Um, the last, I think, four, you know, starting with By the Shores of Silver Lake. So not the earlier ones, but when Laura is a, a young teenager um, and and her family settles in Dakota Territory. So my main character, Hannah, moves to a very similar town. And um, in that town, she faces um, racism and um, other other issues of the day that are not conf- they are not um, dealt with in the Wilder novels. You know, things like the relationship to Native Americans, you know, um, racism in, in, uh, against her, herself, as an Asian. And um, so this, it's a pioneer story, but um, with the same setting as the Wilder books, but with a completely different view of that history. Hmm. Have you finished? And the t- it is finished. The, it, uh, fin- the, yeah. <laughs> the, title, the title of the book is Prairie Lotus. Prairie Lotus. Oh, that sounds like a challenge and a long walk to get through. Something that uh, for you to have to go back and reflect on this story that is special to you and also find a way to 
to step a distance enough away from it to tell your own story, to tell the story of these new characters you've created. Yeah, I, and it yeah. was, you know, and it was, um, you, you earlier had talked about how you were writing fan fiction. You later realized it. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm, I'm hearing was, myself say that. Yep. <laughs> yep. When I was, when I was a little girl, um, I didn't write, but I did it in my head. I told the story over and over and over again, um, it, which was basically fan fiction, which was that I was Laura's best friend. And I had to do all, and this is in the author's note of the book, but I had to do all kinds of, uh, mental gymnastics to get an Asian girl to that town in that time. And, and then realizing as I grew older that, you know what, Ma would probably never have let Laura even talk to me, you know, uh, and those kinds of realizations. So all of that has, has gone into this book, this fan fiction that I wrote in my head for years and years and years. And, and it was, it was actually a pretty dreadful process. (laughs) I had, I had a lot of revisions to do on that book because, um, you know, the first, uh, my, my, um, it it just took a while to get to, to get, get the story where both I, I myself and my editor were satisfied with it. But I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm very anxious because this book is just like I ripped out my heart and stuck mm. it between two covers. But um, I'm also really excited, and I can't wait to, I can't wait for people to read it. <laughs> well, that year, waiting for it to come out will go quickly because of review copies going out, because of this going out, all of those things. The, the those things happen to move faster than we sometimes think. So I'm excited, Linda Sue, that one that you shared it with all of us. Thank you for that. But two, that that will have a chance to to return to that world as well. And that, that other readers will have a chance for the first time to see themselves in that environment, in that world, in that setting. That's my hope. Good on you. Good on you. I like, Oh, I'm having those feelings. Like, so I'm going to go to my library and request it now and I'll pick (laughs) it up this weekend and then I'll just read it. Um, (laughs) Nope. I will wait. I will hold my finger, cross my fingers until then. Um, hold my hands tight. Um, so thank you, Linda Sue, so much for your time tonight. Um, talking to me about Condra's treasure and everything else in between. It was a delight to speak with you. And I really valued, um, all of that conversation that you brought to Gondra and, and what it means to have two different dragon parents (laughs) and all that that implies for the beautiful child that's made the only treasure that we need. Right. Right. Thank you for that. So I want to close with this, giving you last word. I'll see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message I can bring to them from you? Oh, there's so many I want to say. (laughs) Um, Okay. First of all, I always like to tell them that if they think they don't like to read, they just haven't met the right book yet. So to please give their teachers and librarians a chance, a few chances to introduce them to the right book. And I promise them that there are books out there that they will love. And the second thing, and the reason that's so important is that I believe with my whole heart that kids who grow up reading a lot and keep reading a lot grow up to be the people who will save the world. This is Darshna Kiani, children's author and book blogger. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.flowering-minds.com forward slash South Asian Kidlet. 
The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out with the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Karina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.